Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. This week is a bit of a unique show as I am flying solo, and the reason for that is I've been really mulling over and working on a new proposition, uh, a CISO manifesto, if you will. I'm tackling various components of what we consider to be the CISO life and trying to find us a new way. Um, I'm not going to say that I've done it by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what I'm working on. I've been grinding on a few major categories and topics. Now, I know some of these topics I'm bringing up uh, are ones that we have discussed on this show as tired topics. So the goal here is not to rehash out a tired topic. The goal here is to actually solution and solve some things. And I want to start today with the concept of ownership of risk. This is a topic that comes up all the time. We hear CISOs say the common refrain of, I don't own the risk, the business owns the risk. I only advise. Uh, it's not me. I, I, I don't have the authority to alter the, the risk posture, so therefore I shouldn't have the accountability. Those kinds of arguments are, are frequently put forth in CISO circles, and I want to I explore that, and I want to refute that to a certain extent. So the first thing I want to talk about is when we say the business owns the risk, let's deconstruct that for a moment. I think on this show, we have probably said about a hundred times now that the mission of the CISO is not to enable the business, but to be the business. In other words, to be a co-leader of the business, to be part and parcel of it, not treating the business as this separate thing over there that you are enabling as an outsider. It is something you are enmeshed in, part of, and co-leading. And if that's going to be the story, if we are co-leading the business, then how can we possibly say, I don't own the risk, the business owns the risk? We are the business. And so that tells me that co-ownership of risk is kind of uh, the default and de facto situation that should be there on the table. Whether we acknowledge that or not, I think some co-ownership is there. Now, that's, that's deconstructing the business part of the phrase, the business owns the risk. Let's talk about the risk side of the equation. What the heck is this risk and what is the ownership of it? Um, from a risk perspective, we talk about cyber risk. We talk about data risk. We talk about all the types of risks that a CISO might care about as opposed to financial risk or general business risk or market risk or competitor risk or any of these other kinds of risks that might exist. When it comes to cyber risk or data risk, we should be the default and de facto leader in charge of uh, the proclamations around that, that risk, if nothing else, right? So, so data and cyber risk are, are going to be how we define the risk purview of the CISO, data and cyber. So now we've talked about the business. We've talked about the risk itself. Let's talk about the concept of ownership. I want to take that one apart really well, and here's why. When we talk about ownership, when we talk about accountability and authority and all these other things, um, uh, there's, there's a lot of muddied waters with the word ownership. It, it, it's bigger than all those things. Ownership can mean quite a few things. So one thing I did, uh, I just Googled around on the internet and um, was looking for concepts of ownership in the, in the business world, concepts of ownership in the workplace. What do they mean? What people's definitions are out there? Um, I was influenced by the show last week with Jim McConnell when we talked about getting a seat at the table. And I asked Jim, what does having a seat at the table mean? 
And I was expecting him to rattle off all the rights and privileges of being at the table, and he did not. Instead, he gave a list of responsibilities for being at the table. In other words, a seat at the table was defined by what you bring, not by what you get. Super important distinction. So I found this list of the definitions of ownership out there on the internet. Uh, It was a company called, let's see here, InfoTrust. Um, And there was a blog writer called Lisa Wilms. I guess she's an employee over there at InfoTrust. And she defined ownership with these four bullets. She says, ownership is taking the initiative to bring about positive results. It's that same paradigm as Jim last week. We are talking about responsibility, not rights. Taking the initiative to bring about the results, positive results. Uh, It means not waiting for others to act and caring about the outcome as much as an owner of the company would. Now, as much as an owner of the company would, that's a stretch for me. I don't think any of us are ever as quite as invested as the people that are truly and maximally invested. But, but, But nevertheless, we should be invested. Not waiting for others to act, caring about the outcome, and being invested, we'll call that. That's another good responsibility definition for ownership. It is being accountable for the results of your actions. Aha, accountability. We, we talk about this with this mantra of uh, I have all the accountability and none of the authority. Here we're saying accountability should indeed be owned. Uh, the results of your actions, right? These are the highest quality and delivered in a timely manner is what they should be, right? This, this is what your actions should be. And if they're anything less than that, you've got some accountability and some ownership there. And finally, the last one says, taking ownership shows others that they can trust you to do the right thing. Ownership engenders trust. This is a super key point in what I'm about to say. So I deconstructed ownership the following way. Uh, Advice giving and owning your words. In other words, even if you don't have the true authority to make the final decision, if you are being the business, you are a voice in that room You are going to pipe up and speak with your expertise and your authority, and you are going to own your words. If you say that risk is acceptable and later on something bad happens, or if you say that risk is not acceptable and dig in your heels, in all cases, you have to own your words. Then we talk about accountability. We already touched on that a little bit, but the idea that the consequences of your calls, uh, be they your words, be they your actions, whatever, the consequences are most definitely owned by you. I don't, I don't care what you say. You own the consequences of your actions, even if you're trying to say, I'm an advisor only. I don't have the authority, therefore I don't have the accountability. If you are a business leader, you have the accountability, in my humble opinion. Now, the power and authority piece, that's the next piece of ownership. Do we own the power? Do we own the authority? Well, It's interesting when you say, I don't have the authority, is that really true? If you think about the power of your voice, we talked about the first one, your words. If we think about the fourth bullet from uh, the list I found on the internet of engendering trust, if you are transparent, if you demonstrate ownership, if you demonstrate ownership of accountability and consequences, and you are consistent in this, if you speak with the authority of your office consistently and clearly in a way the business understands, then at the end of the day, I'm arguing you actually have far more authority than you think you do. Uh, This ties into the next bullet in my list of ownership, which is a principal influencer role. This is precisely what we're talking about. You may not have the final call as to whether that risk is dealt with. If you declare a cyber risk that that the, the active mitigation thereof is 100% in someone else's hands, you still are the principal influencer in the room when it comes to cyber and data risk. It's you. Therefore, you have more ownership than you think you do. 
Good calls and bad calls, you own those. Uh, and the ability to be a change agent. This is a little more nuanced than the authority thing. And I say that because I want to start deconstructing some other roles in the organization that uh, might help shine a little bit of light on, on our conundrum here. I want to start with project and program managers. They have been around since the dawn of time, since long before CISOs, and they are the original people <laughs> to come up with that phrase, I have all the accountability and none of the authority. A project or program manager, by definition, has an objective mission, a measurable mission. They have to achieve a certain timeline. They have to achieve a certain budget. They have to rally an entire group of people around a common cause and achieve this common goal. And none of those people report to that project manager. They all report up through verticals. If I'm in engineering, I report to an engineering manager. If I'm in QA, it's a QA manager. If I'm in product marketing, it's a product marketing manager. If I'm in product management, it's a product management manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The project manager does not have the authority and yet has the accountability. And we've got an entire business ecosystem that for a long, 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 long time has said that's an acceptable situation. And this is why we talk about the ability to be a change agent and the ability to be an influencer. How does a project manager meet success? The best ones I have ever worked with have been the ultimate bargainers, the ultimate barterers, the ultimate traders, the ultimate uh, befrienders. There's a lot of skills that go into being a successful project manager. They will come to the engineer and say, hey, if you can short, shorten your delivery on this one component by one week, I can promise you uh, that the project manager over here or the product manager over here will, will, will give you a week back on this other thing down the road. Hey, product manager, are you willing to give him a week if he gives you a week? You, you, they're, they're, they're just constantly running around brokering these kinds of deals. Give me this and I'll get you that. Get me that and I'll give you this. Um, and, they, and they circle around with everyone in the team and they keep everything in constant motion and momentum. This is all about influencing. This is all about being a change agent. This is all about being a force multiplier. And none of this is done with quote-unquote authority, right? Obviously, that's not true. Obviously, the project manager has a great amount of authority, even though they don't have the authority. And that's why I think that project management role needs to be considered. I've got other roles to deconstruct and walk through here. And I'm sorry I'm using the word deconstruct so much. It's just I'm tearing things apart on this one, and, and that's, that's really where I'm at right now. I don't know that I've constructed much, but I'm definitely deconstructing much. Let's talk about general counsel or just somebody in the, in the GC's team, a random lawyer, VP. This VP signs off on a contract for the purchasing department and says, yeah, 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 that contract's cool. I redlined this. I found that. I argued this clause. I inserted that clause. We're cool. Just sign it. You're good to go. A lawyer is mitigating business risk the same way we are mitigating cyber risk and data risk. That is their job. That is what they are doing. They don't own the purchasing department. They don't own the dollars involved. They don't own the payout if the company gets sued. They don't own any of that stuff. They are advisors only, right? Like this is the, that same argument, right? One can argue there's a parallel between the lawyer and the CISO. At the surface, all the advice giving, none of the ownership, all the accountability, none of the authority. And let's talk about the accountability for a moment. Let's say that contract goes through, and let's say that the lawyer missed some super critical component in the contract that allows the other side to uh, sue for a bazillion dollars or um, 
find the contract in default and fine us a bazillion dollars or, you know, whatever kind of miss there might be. Something in the contract the lawyer missed that allows the other side, be it the vendor, the customer, the whomever, to sway a massive amount of dollars in their favor that are coming out of our company's coffers. Should that lawyer be held accountable for that bad call on that contract, for that miss? Um, there's a clause that they accepted or, or failed to insert or didn't notice or whatever it might be. Made a bad call. The company lost a boatload of money. Let's say it breaks the quarter. Uh, we were supposed to be positive $100 million this quarter, and instead we're negative $200 million because of a $300 million slip on this one contract. Should that lawyer be fired? Probably. At a bare minimum, punished, stripped a rank, and uh, you know, sent to the sent to the uh, mailroom or something. Like like, there should be accountability for that big a miss. That's his job. He screwed up, right? So that's the GC model. Again, we talk about oh, they're advisors, and again, you know, accountability and no authority. And yet, obviously, had the authority as the advisor. Obviously, was the principal expert in the room obviously had the power and authority and position and and had engendered the trust at least up to that point. So again, I'm questioning this entire argument about the CISO. Um, CFO, same thing. Uh, misses a huge line item in his or her projections and all of a sudden there's a 200 million deficit for a quarter that was supposed to be 100 million positive. Same story. Uh, because of a budget item missed or some component you know, some something in the budgeting that, that the CFO just totally dropped the ball, failed to consider, big fine coming in, big big recurring fee coming in, um, forgetting about an outstanding default where a client is owed money, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. The CFO has a big miss, and the quarter ends up being a bust. Now, does the CFO actually own those dollars? No. Does the CFO own the particular contract scenario whereby the dollars had to go out the door? No. Did the CISO, did the CFO sign off on that contract? No. So one can say, oh, look, none of the authority but all the accountability fire the CFO. Yes, fire the CFO. That's exactly what I'm talking about because there's more authority there than you think. The CFO at the end of the day owns the call, owns the prediction, owns winning the trust of all those around her or him, by having these conversations, by exhibiting authority, by exhibiting repeatability, by exhibiting ownership and accountability, by exhibiting their role as an influencer and change agent and expert, um, all of these things indicate there's way more authority there than, than, than what at first glance we would call. And, and that brings us to the CISO. It's the exact same thing. I'm the CISO, and I say that risk is unacceptable. I'm the CISO and I say that risk is acceptable. I might have to argue with the business. I might have to defend that position and dig in my heels. I'm at risk of being a business obstructionist when I'm doing that. But I may say this is the one where I'm truly digging in my heels and not giving. Now, I have the authority to do that. I have authority when I dig in my heels. I may be told no. I may be overridden. But I have most definitely planted my expert opinion on the table, put my reputation on the table, brought up the fact that there's accountability involved in this decision, acted as an influencer, acted as a change agent, acted with the authority of my office, and declared my declaration. Let's say the business sides with me, and it goes south anyway. Aha, just like the CFO and just like the general counsel, maybe there's a reason to pull the plug on the CISO. Uh, that's accountability in the face of what was actually quite a good amount of authority. I would argue that the CISO is, by stepping up, 
and issuing that proclamation, by digging in their heels, by speaking with the authority of their office, by using the influence, by using the change agent, by using the trust they've engendered, by being accountable up to this point, there is a great amount of authority on the table. And that authority in this case was wrong. What if it's right? CISO should be recognized and rewarded, right? And we're not talking about toxic companies. We're not talking about scapegoat scenarios. We're not talking about it went south, blame the CISO. You know, let's assume there's an evidentiary trail. Minutes were taken in the meeting. Emails were sent. Uh, CISO firmly said, I'm against this one. But at the end of the day, when the CISO toes the line, let's say the CISO said, we cannot accept this risk. And everybody else in the leadership team came back and said, sorry, we have to. There's too many other factors and variables and things going on. We got to carry this risk another quarter. Sorry, uh, Mr. or Mrs. CISO. You know, we're going to carry this risk. Okay. All that accountability, all that authority, all those conversations already aside. We have a call. That call is made. And the bad thing happens. CISO spoke. CISO was authoritative. CISO should earn a little more credibility as a result of that, not be scapegoated, right? Um. Similarly, if the CISO says we should accept that risk and the bad thing happens, there should be an evaluation of the CISO skill set. Now, I mentioned firing the GC. I mentioned firing the CFO. Um, I, I, I mentioned firing the CISO. Obviously, if enough trust has been built up, if enough accountability and ownership have been demonstrated, probably that CISO is going to weather that storm. And that's the other important piece of this. By disavowing authority and ownership, rather than embracing what authority and ownership you do have, you are putting yourself more at risk of being the one who gets fired as soon as a bad call is made. If you have established authority, if you have established accountability, if you have engendered trust, if you have used the position of your office to build confidence around you in your decisions and calls, you can probably weather that storm when you happen to make one bad call. That's another important point in all of this. Um, so, so who owns the risks, right? At the end of the day, I'm saying the risks are co-owned by the business, and the business includes the CISO. The CISO is, in fact, a leader of the business, just like the CFO, the CMO, the COO, the CEO. They are at the table as a leader, speaking with the expertise of their office, giving the best guidance they can give, but towing the line when they have to tow the line. And that's okay. That's not ceding authority when you tow the line. Think about it from the other perspective. You, the CISO, have an individual contributor who's fresh out of college, and they are in cybersecurity because they want to secure all the things. And every day they're finding vulnerabilities, and every day they're finding possible scenarios, and, you know, whatever. They might be an engineer on the, on the team that's running vault scans. They might be in the SOC uh, hunting incidents, you know, it doesn't matter. You're going to have someone on your team who's more junior who comes to you wanting to secure all the things, and you have to give them that talk. And every CISO has been through this with someone on their team at some point in their career. I appreciate that you found all these things, and I appreciate that you want to secure all these things, but we have to prioritize these things and do them in priority order, and some may never get fixed. And the reason for that, you tell the person on your team, is business reasons. There are larger business reasons above and beyond what you, the mere engineer in the SOC, see and want to do. I, the CISO, part of my responsibility in managing you is explaining to you the bigger picture, explaining to you how we fit into a larger paradigm. And maybe the same engineering resources that would fix that, that, that bug in, in, in the app that, that the uh, CISO's team member found, uh, maybe those same engineers are committed to getting three new features out the door upon which a $7 million contract is hinging. Or whatever the story is, right? 
there are business drivers that you have to teach your team override the desire to secure all the things. Well, here you are in the leadership team, in the leadership room. And when you say I was overridden by the business and I lost all authority, no, you didn't. You didn't lose authority at all. You were told the same thing you told the person on your team. Totally agree. Totally value. Totally appreciate. Well spotted. Definitely needs to be looked at at some point. But right now, it is not a business priority. And just like you expect the person on your team to toe the line once the declaration is made, you need to toe the line once the declaration is made at the leadership levels. It's not a loss of authority. Your authority is still intact. Your accountability is still 100% there. You voiced your opinion. You were overridden. Great. The record shows you voiced your opinion. Anything goes south. Accountability is not coming your way. If it's the inverse scenario, the accountability is coming your way. Um, you haven't sacrificed authority in that, in that measure. It's just a matter of redefining what we think authority is. And it's a matter of redefining how we be the business, how we be the business. We be. Um, you have to see yourself as a co-leader in all these scenarios. And so, therefore, risk needs to be co-owned. You do, in fact, have some ownership of that risk, possibly more than everyone around you because of that authority of your office, because of that influence, because of that trust you've engendered, because of embracing accountability. You may be the biggest owner of that risk in that co-ownership model. So, folks, that's my take on ownership of risk. I really really, really want everyone who hears this show to reach out to me on LinkedIn and debate me, prove me wrong, uh, compliment what I said and prove me right. Have a conversation around this. I think it's vitally important that we settle this one once and for all. I think we have far more authority than we claim in the model we're claiming. I think we should have the accountability in all cases, regardless of how much of that authority we really do or don't have. I think we are co-owners of the risk, possibly the majority owner of the risk, no matter what the situation. I think claiming we are advisors only is suicidal. The GC is not really an advisor only when they ink that contract and slide it across the table and say, this is done, I have blessed it. That's more than advising. That's acting with authority of an office. And everyone around them is trusting that authority. It's the same thing with the CISO. So, folks, that's my conclusion on ownership of risk. That's how far I've gotten with it. I want to hear your feedback. Please chime in on LinkedIn. I appreciate y'all's time. I appreciate y'all listening. Y'all be good now.